Welcome to 10 in 20, the official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust, coming to you this time from the Carter House basement. My name's Sarah. And my name's Brad. And the reason we wanted to record this episode in the basement of the Carter House is because we are going to talk to you today about Captain Todd Carter, who is one of the main characters in the Carter House story. And you will hear all about him if you come for a tour. But we wanted to give a well, well-rounded perspective of who he was as a person and how his story represents many who lived in Middle Tennessee, especially young men his age. Todd was born in Franklin on March 24th, 1840 to Fountain Branch Carter and his wife, Mary Atkinson Carter. Todd is number 10 of 12 children. We'll call him Todd for, you know, most of this podcast, but his full name is Theodric. That's an old Carter family name and is definitely not the weirdest name that Fountain Branch and Polly give their kids. Not even close. No, some of his brothers include names like Nissan Red, Moscow Branch, and Orlando Hortentius. Theodric would sign his name T-H-E period, but again, he's called Todd for most of his life. Todd's mother died when he was only 12 years old in 1852. But despite that, in 1855, when Todd was 15, his father, Fountain, wrote in a letter that Theodric is nearly grown, perfectly steady, learns very fast, and understands what he read better than any boy I ever saw. He clearly wasn't biased, though, because he went on to say that his son, Wad, also learns fast, but his daughter, Fanny, thinks only of playing dolls. To be fair, Fanny was pretty young right. when Fountain Branch was writing this. Todd was particularly close to his female cousin, Medora, who he gave a collection of songbooks to. And it doesn't appear that Todd had a girlfriend before he went off to join the army, but apparently he did fancy some girl. In 1862, he writes to his friend Dick, where he states, Present my best wishes to Miss Fanny Park and tell her not to accept Phil until I come, for she will certainly have a chance at me. I brought with me many memories of her, fragrant as spring blossoms with perennial freshness. He was quite the sweet talker. Todd, we know for a fact, was well-educated. He was both a school teacher and a lawyer before turning 20 years old. In June of 1859, he put out an ad in the local paper seeking students for a school he had started. And by 1861, he had a law office on 3rd Avenue South in downtown Franklin. He was once even described as a brilliant young lawyer. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in November of 1860, promising to contain slavery where it currently existed and to not let the institution of slavery spread into the territories. By Lincoln's inauguration in March, seven slave-owning states secede from the Union because they felt the institution of slavery was being threatened. And over the next few months, four more states secede, the last of which was Tennessee. Tennessee was on the fence, though, at first, because a large portion of the state was opposed to secession, particularly in East Tennessee, which will sound familiar to you if you listen to our last episode about Governor Brownlow. Many of the older generation in Tennessee, like Todd's father, Fountain Branch Carter, would have placed a great value on the Union and been opposed to secession. Tennessee voted in February of 1861 if they were going to secede or not, and it resulted in the state choosing to remain with the Union. But Union sympathies in Middle Tennessee began to flip by April of 1861 because Abraham Lincoln called for volunteers to put down the seceded states after the attack on Fort Sumter. Tennessee voted on secession a second time and on June 8th officially seceded from the Union. But what's interesting is by that point in time, the Carter boys, the grown Carter sons, had already enlisted in the Confederacy. 
Yeah, Todd enlists about a month prior to Tennessee officially leaving the Union. In May of 1861, he enlists in Company H of the 20th Tennessee Infantry Regiment. He enlists with one of his brothers, Moscow, and is soon joined by another brother, Francis. Their company, Company H, is just part of 10 companies that makes up the 20th Tennessee, and they were first organized at Camp Trousdale. One of the first things that Todd does, one of the first exciting things that he participates in is that in August of 1861, a United States Navy captain, so a Northern Navy captain was captured in East Tennessee and he was accused of being a spy. They're like, what is he doing in East Tennessee? So he was ordered to be brought to the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. And there was a small group of Tennessee soldiers who were selected as his escorts. And Todd was one of them. And another one was Captain W.M. Clark. Captain W.M. Clark writes about this journey. And it's interesting because you can tell from many of these guys, it was their first time to a big city out of the state. And they were really excited to go. But he also writes, they start escorting this guy through Tennessee and he's a Yankee. You know, he's a northerner. And up until that point, like nobody liked Yankees. They were the enemy. Everybody hated him, but they most of them had never really met him either. And so Captain Clark talks about how he got to know this guy and kind of liked him. Like he didn't have a problem with him. As their train car was driving through the south, crowds would gather shouting live Yankee and view the monster and look how mean he looks and even things as bad as hang the Yankee. And they're like, this guy's not that bad. He's just a normal dude. I know. I love how they're shouting like, live Yankee, like they've never seen. Right. Like they're completely different up north. Yes. Or the fact that they've never seen one alive before. Right. But then they get to Richmond and they're, they talk about how they're just really impressed at seeing the architecture, the artwork, the military production facilities. And it seems like everybody they see, they think is a famous celebrity. Yeah. Although they did see ex-president John Tyler. So right. they at least saw one. Right. And I think this trip to Richmond left a lasting impression on the group. Maybe a, maybe a sense of patriotism was left in the group for, for mm-hmm. the Confederacy after this. Todd does participate in a couple of notable instances throughout the Civil War, one being the Battle of Mill Springs on January 19th, 1862. The regiment suffered pretty heavy losses here, including the capture of Todd's older brother, Moscow, and their commanding general, General Zolikoffer, was killed. And Todd was one of the few men picked to go and receive the general's body under a flag of truce. He gets promoted in May of 1862. He becomes a captain in the quartermaster department. And later that year, he's appointed as assistant quartermaster, which to clarify, a quartermaster is a military officer responsible for locating and providing quarters, rations, clothing, and other supplies. And in August of 1862, a newspaper was formed called the Chattanooga Daily Rebel. Going back to our previous podcast, it was started by a former printer of Governor Brownlow's Knoxville wig. Which was interesting because that was a strong unionist newspaper. So the guy who started the rebel was like, I'm going to do something completely different. Yes. As you can probably tell from its title, the rebel was a pretty strong pro-Confederate newspaper. Content included you know, general orders for soldiers, news about the war, local matters, 
of course, ads, the bread and butter of any newspaper. And the rebel had to relocate multiple times, but was able to run from August of 1862 to April of 1865. And at its height, it was printing about 8,000 copies daily. And Ty was chosen to be one of its war correspondents. He wrote articles under the codename Mint Julep. These articles are particularly interesting because I think they give you a good idea of who he was as a person and how he viewed the war that they fought in. The things he wrote about, some of them were pretty normal. He wrote about rumors of what was going to come next for their regiment. He wrote about some news from home or rumors from home. He wrote about updates on what they were up to, things as simple as what the weather was like. He would occasionally describe the battles he had fought in, and he would he writes with a flourish. like He writes in very showy language. You can tell he's well-educated. In describing the Battle of Stones River in Murfreesboro on January 4th, 1863, Todd describes it by saying, For an hour the demons of hell seem to have met in wild, blood-drunken revelry. The enemy finally gave way and our boys dashed upon them like a tigress to her bloody banquet and drove them howling through the wood and the field and over cedar-girt hills to the river and across the river to their den and their reserve. The enemy fought bravely, but they met men fighting for their homes and their little ones and notwithstanding their superior force were repulsed and driven back in slaughter. The ground was literally blue with their dead and dying. Our thin ranks attest to their courage with a melancholy eloquence. Also, I think, which is kind of interesting, he goes and talks on multiple occasions in the few of his letters that we do have. He talks about how bad morale was in the North, how Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois were having secret societies that were contemplating secession and joining the Confederacy. And then he would flip from those kind of serious war rumors. One of his letters is just him describing how he went off on a ride on his horse Rosencrantz to find a snack. He wanted to find turnips to make turnip salad with. And so he's just like, I went off on this ride and I tried to find turnips and I found some and I ate them and hung out for a while. Yes, I think he said he went to a cabin and spent a while there, but we didn't tell you what he actually did. Yeah. He was also, he was prone to bashing Abraham Lincoln using phrases for him, like calling him a tyrant and things along that nature. And I think Todd had a very romantic view of the war, and he had a very young man's view of the war that they were fighting in. I think to him, the good guys were the good guys, and the bad guys were the bad guys. And of course, the side he was fighting fighting for were good. And anytime he referred to the enemy, the Northerners, it wasn't saying the Federals or the Northern soldiers. He would often just refer to them all as the abolitionists. In that, you see a, a guy, a kid, who's in his early 20s, who grew up in the 1850s, when this debate about slavery was reaching a fever pitch and the extremes were getting more and more extreme and people were finding themselves either saying, we're going to abolish slavery or we're going to secede from the union. You see Todd really getting fired up about this secession movement. And I think he believed in it very strongly. And you see that in his letters. Yeah, they're very black and white. What's really interesting about his letters is despite, you know, even describing the horrors of Stones River, they tend to be very upbeat and positive and very purposeful. And I don't know if that was his actual thinking or if it was his way of writing to the masses. He wanted to keep morale well, or he may have known his family might be reading this. Or other soldiers' families. Or other soldiers' families. He wants to keep, yeah, them upbeat and positive too. In one interesting letter, he he denounces those in the North who take the oath of allegiance to the Union, which he refers to as the odious oath. And the reason I find that interesting is because his older brother, Moscow, 
had been captured, like we said, and released on parole and, as, and was allowed to go back home to his home in Franklin, Tennessee, the home we're in the cellar of right now. Eventually, Moscow signs the Oath of Allegiance. And I can't help but think when Todd is writing this, he might be thinking of his older brother back home. Todd did write Moscow a letter where he pleaded with him to form another company and rejoin the Confederate Army. And Moscow doesn't. Instead, he chooses to stay home in Franklin. Todd participates in the Battle of Missionary Ridge, which was part of the Chattanooga campaign on November 25th, 1863. And while his regiment was retreating, Todd lost his horse and was captured while he was trying to flee on foot. And in a letter from Moscow later, Moscow says that his his horse actually returned to camp. It swam through the river in full rig and returned to his fellow soldiers, which led them to think that Todd had been killed. But of course, he wasn't killed. He's captured. And he's sent to Johnson's Island Federal Prison, an island on Lake Erie, right near Sandusky, Ohio. So I was talking today to one of our coworkers, Jim Knight who is a historian and author. He's, he's researched and written a lot about Johnson's Island. And what he said was, if you had to be a Confederate prisoner, Johnson's Island would be the place to be because it was designed during the war as an officer's prison. And so they had a lot of facilities there that many prisons weren't. Now, it, it wasn't great. I mean, you're in prison, but the men were allowed to do things to kind of cope with the boredom and monotony of prison life. Everything from forming theater groups to arts and crafts to classes in language, history, scripture. They formed baseball teams. In the winter that Todd's in prison, they have a giant snowball fight where they divide the camp into different armies and they appoint people generals and officers. And I'm sure Todd probably participated in that, although we don't technically know for sure. Yeah. In wintertime could be like when Todd was there could have been rough because they are on Lake Erie. So wintertime could be pretty crummy to be there. But in general, that that was not a bad place to be. Todd wrote in a letter to his sister Fanny while he was there on December 12th. So he's only been there for like a week tops. And he tells in this letter of fellow prisoners organizing into bands, of creating instruments. One guy started a barbershop. They're teaching classes all to cope with the boredom of prison life. And of course, he asked them to send clothing, towels, and a bag because he needs one. And he ends his letter by saying, kiss the girls for me. I will not see any of you until this cruel war is over. But he still remains politically aware while he's in prison. He is one of the officers to sign his name to a document urging Tennessee to remain in the fight in the rebellion. So beginning in February of 1864, a number of prisoners were transferred from Johnson's Island to Point Lookout in Maryland. And it seems that they were starting alphabetically. And so the first wave of prisoners to be transferred were guys whose last names began with A, B, and C. So Todd was in this first round. And en route to Point Lookout, Todd escapes. In the early morning hours of February 11th, 1864, the family story is that he cracked a window open on his train car and leapt from the train while it was moving through Pennsylvania. There are records of other men who attempted to escape this way, so it seems pretty likely that he actually escaped by jumping from a moving train. He has to travel through the skies and uses the Ohio and Mississippi rivers. He goes through Memphis, but he doesn't return home and he does not contact his family. He ends up participating in the Atlantic campaign with the Army of Tennessee. So on November 21st, 1864, Todd crosses back into his home state with the Army of Tennessee as part of a campaign to win Nashville back for the South under the command of General John Bell Hood. 
On November 28th, while he was in Columbia, Tennessee, which is like 25 miles south of here, Todd had requested leave to come visit his family. This was going to be his first time home in roughly three years. And so since they're clearly marching towards Franklin, he requests a chance. He requests a pass to come visit his family. That pass was granted and he was allowed to go in advance of the army and visit his family in Franklin. Todd gets pretty close to his house on the night of November 29th. He makes it just a couple of miles south of his home. He and a friend stop for the night at the Green Neely House. We don't know what made him stay here rather than continuing all the way home. Early in the morning of November 30th, a federal army under General John Schofield began to arrive in Franklin. They had passed the Confederates in a village called Spring Hill the night before. And this Northern Army had planned on continuing on to Nashville, but were stuck in Franklin due to a river flooding on the north end of town. Todd realizes this when he wakes up, and he's unable to return to his house because that area is already swarming with federal soldiers. He probably didn't know this, but his family home had been taken over and used as a Northern Army headquarters. And so Todd returns back to his unit, the 20th Tennessee. That night, to prevent the Northern Army from escaping across the bridges and into Nashville, General John Bell Hood orders a direct frontal assault. He said that Franklin is the key to Nashville, and Nashville is the key to independence. And I think what that shows you about Hood is he felt that the war was resting on his shoulders in this moment. Just before sunset, 20,000 Confederate soldiers in an attack formation roughly two miles from one end to the other marched across open fields under heavy cannon fire, into a fortified enemy defense. It was a desperate and extremely costly move. The Confederate forces break through the center of the Federal works, with some of the most intense fighting, hand-to-hand combat fighting, taking place right around the Carter House, where Todd's family, their neighbors, and at least four of their enslaved people were sheltered in the cellar. We can look into the room right next to us and we can see the room where the Carter family was sheltered and we can see the names and ages of everybody who is hiding right down here. 25 people in total. While approaching the federal defensive works, Todd leads a charge away from his brigade and towards the Carter Hill. He would have known where he was. He knew he was in his hometown. He was almost certainly trying to get back to his family. The Battle of Franklin raged on for about five hours, with almost 40,000 men involved in this gruesome combat. No one was prepared, really, for how bad it was ultimately going to be. The intense combat was over by about 8 p.m., but the final shots weren't fired till around 9 p.m. And after the initial breakthrough, the federal defenses held for the remainder of the evening. And after a few hours of relative silence compared to what had happened earlier, the Northern Army continued to cross the bridges that had now been fixed and went on to Nashville, leaving the town of Franklin to the Confederates. And in one evening, nearly 10,000 soldiers were either killed, wounded, or captured. They had roughly 7,000 of those casualties were Confederates, and 3,000 were Federals. Six Confederate generals ended up dying or already lay dead. There were around 2,500 men dead. Early in the morning of December 1st, probably three or four o'clock the next morning, the Carter family exits their cellar after having been down where we are right now for 10 or 12 hours. And when they get up to their porch, they see the extent of how awful this combat actually was. One Confederate officer said, one could have walked all over the field upon dead bodies without stepping on the ground. It's at this moment that a soldier comes to the Carter home and tells them that Todd was here and that he was hurt. 
this was probably the first time the family had heard news about Todd in months. So Moscow begins to look for him. After that, Todd's brigade commander, General Smith, arrives and informs the family that in fact Todd was hurt and he brings Fountain and some of their grown children, Todd's siblings, to where Todd fell. The family searches for Todd by lantern light amongst the dead and the wounded and they end up finding him at the base of Carter Hill. He was potentially in view of his childhood home when he was shot down. He was wounded multiple times, including a bullet lodged in the left side of his forehead. And the family brings him into his childhood home, at first to one of the side rooms, eventually moving him into the family parlor. A local doctor is called to treat Todd. He's really not able to do anything other than ease some of his suffering. He does remove the bullet from his head, but Todd never recovers. On December 2nd, 1864, the next day, Todd Carter dies in the family parlor, surrounded by his loved ones. He died in the home where he was born. Todd does have a really sad story. So do the 2,500 other men who die here on the day of the Battle of Franklin. If you go over to Cartonton, you can see the Confederate cemetery. About 1,500 of the men who were killed here are buried. Thankfully, many of them, most of them, are identified. But whenever I tell the Carter family story, I can't help but think of all the men who lay unknown. And in addition to that, all the families who would live every day hoping that their loved one was going to walk in through the door. I don't know that that thought would have made things easier for the Carters in those moments, but they were with him when he died. They were able to say goodbye and that they loved him, mm-hmm. not that he understood them, but they were able to bury their son in a marked grave, which is not something that many families were able to do in this war. No, many of the federal soldiers who died here never were identified, never were taken home. But Todd is buried in Franklin. He's buried in the Rest Haven Cemetery. It's one of the public cemeteries near downtown Franklin. You can go visit Todd's grave if you want to. Before they bury Todd, they take out his wallet and they take out of that wallet the pass granting him leave to come visit his family. And they also, and this is a little morbid, but they kept the bullet that they had pulled out of his head. Those two pieces are currently in the Carter House collection, but there's kind of an interesting thing. The bullet remained in the family collection for years, but it's been a part of the Carter House collection ever since 2010. But the pass was lost for the longest time. It wasn't until quite recently, late 2015, early 2016, that a gentleman purchased a storage unit on auction in Memphis. And in that storage unit, he found a framed leaf pass, which bore the name T-H-E period Carter. And like most people, he began to wonder who is the Carter. But he was put in contact with the Battle of Franklin Trust, and he eventually decided to donate that pass to us when he realized how significant it was. It is currently on display in the Carter House Museum. We are going to end this podcast with something kind of special. So on November 30th, 1989, a woman named Dr. Rosalie Carter gave a speech in commemoration of the Battle of Franklin. Rosalie Carter is Todd's great niece, so Moscow's granddaughter. And she compiled much of the family stories in relation to the battle. So we're going to finish this episode with some of that speech that she gave on November 30th, 1989. We were, I feel like it's interesting to know, we, we were able to find in our archives a cassette tape of this speech. And for the first time ever, we had transferred it to digital. So this is kind of a fun thing. You're going to be some of the first folks who have heard this in the last 20-ish years, I mean, mm-hmm. I would imagine. 
So before we go, as always, if you look us up on social media, you can find us on Instagram at BOFT1864. We're going to be posting some pictures from this podcast like we always do. And we also have a special promotion for our podcast listeners from our online store. You can go to our online store, store store.boft.org, and you can use the code PODCAST18. So podcast all lowercase, 18 for 10% off now through the end of August. And now we're going to throw it back to Dr. Rosalie Carter in 1989. That the whole state was plunged into mourning, probably unparalleled in the heartbreaking annals of war, is a story of Captain Todd Carter, who fell mortally wounded while leading a charge in base division about 175 yards southwest of the Carter House. Seldom in the perils of war has a soldier been found on the battlefield by members of his own family who were directed to the place where he fell by his own commanding general to be carried from the battlefield into his own home to die surrounded by his own family. Many Confederate soldiers' bones were left to bleach on the fields where they fell. Todd Carter died December the 2nd, and at the age of 24, and was buried in Rest Haven Cemetery, which we commonly know as Little Cemetery. The Carter House remembers yet the tragic day none can forget, the day when all the fields around became a blood-stained battleground. It spends long hours in reverie, recalling scenes that used to be. In sighing winds it often hears the ebbing light of yesteryears. November twilights gather fast. Some ghost soldiers then go marching past, some clad in blue, some wearing gray, as if to fight another day. At this old house, which once could tell a many ball and rebel yell, we pause to pray because we should for peace and love and brotherhood.